Once again, we gather around ye old microphones. It is I, Golf Spiritual Leader, along with my compadre, my Sancho, if you will, as we tilt at windmills. How's that for a reference? A man of La Mancha, by the way. For you nerds, yeah. Tilting at windmills of the uh, game of golf. It's Coach Tim and myself. Another episode of Swing Thoughts. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, my friend. Um, this is a uh, golf podcast with a difference. It's for uh, a different kind of golfer, a golfer that, you know, thinks deeply and has feelings and isn't afraid to talk about those feelings. <laughs> you know, I, I want people to know that I literally have no plan when I open my mouth at the beginning of these shows. I know. People are like, did you, did you think of that before? No, I did not. Uh, you know what I do? I just let it go. I, I, I swing freely. Which is oh, the polar, which is the polar opposite of what I do on the golf course. As as a guy that speaks into a microphone, I literally have no idea. I just trust that somewhere in my Groucho Marx was once asked how he uh, how he's able to improvise so much. He says, "I don't know. I just open my mouth and I know something funny will come out." And that's what I think. Tim, it's always good being with you. Look at you, festooned, if I if you will, uh, Tim in. Uh, and all the Oscar Bravo glory, uh, one of our sponsors this year. And once again, you are representing the brand so nicely. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I kind of just back to your, uh, just turn on the mic and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like kind of going to the first tee and just seeing what shows up? Well, this is what I say, that it's the opposite of uh, what I do as a golfer, uh, where I'm careful and steering and wondering and... You know, some doing this for as long as I've done it, I have no, uh, seriously, I just did a two hour show before this and I couldn't tell you a goddamn thing I said. That's why anyway. you're a plus handicap uh, broadcaster. <laughs> yes, I am a plus seven yapper. So is our guest today, but we'll get to that in a second. Oscar Bravo. Who is OscarBravo.com, you ask? Tim O'Connor well, has the answer. Yes, well, Oscar Bravo is a lifestyle brand dedicated to painstakingly high quality. In extremely limited production runs. Indeed, there's only 100 of these produced each year. So you know that when you go to your club, no one else is going to be wearing it. And um, so it's pretty cool. I mean, if you think of Oscar as a person, he's a guy who appreciates the finer things in life. He's a curator of the exquisite. So... Check out OscarBravo.com. <laughs> and um, I love the fact that last week we talked to Matt and Dave, and a, a good portion of the conversation was surrounding, you know, how do you clean these things? Because they're not cheap, kids. Uh, and as well, of course, our title sponsor now going on eight years. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things, distance and forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the all-new Stealth 2 with even more carbon. For even more forgiveness. Wait, did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly. Rory gets it. The all new TaylorMade Stealth 2. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. I just want to say because I've been asked, I'm sure you have, you know, hey, what's the difference between the, the original Stealth 
and this new one. And I'm not always, I'm not very technical, so I, I've not always been able to come up with an answer. But I will tell you this, after the month of June that I've had, where I've gone oh for the month for the club face, <laughs> like, like <laughs> I literally, like the middle of my driver's like, are you ever going to, you ever going to hit me? And uh, I can tell, I can tell you, I have towed and necked the shit out of that driver, and still found some fairways. So when those yeah. guys are talking about the forgiveness, like I, I now know there is that difference in the two drivers. I don't know if you found that as well, but I have. Yeah, I found it's it's more forgiving for sure. And I, the sound is that much sweeter this year, I find. I don't know. I just love the sound. Yeah. Um, the way the thing looks. I love the, 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 the what do you call it? The, um, the sweet spot or something? I don't know. No, the shiny part. Oh, the shiny, <laughs> the, the top of the it. Crown, the crown. The crown is the shiny. Official, the crown <laughs> looks yes. really nice. I mean, you yeah. put that down, the way it sounds, all of it just... It fills me full of confidence, Howard, every time I put it down. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm looking for some confidence. But in the meantime, uh, that driver that driver has definitely uh, been a help. Uh, and also, our newest sponsor, StretchLab.com. There's not one reason why people find themselves at Stretch Labs. Some clients are looking to improve their sports performance, like golfers. Some are looking to decrease joint pain. And others simply just want a great stretch. You can increase your range of motion and flexibility, which is golfing. Golfers need that. Reduce uh, muscle and joint pain. Uh, reduce stress, uh, stress and improve posture. You can get a uh, introductory stretch, $59 for 55 minutes, which includes an assessment. Uh, go check it out today at stretchlab.com. All right. And now it's going to listen, kids. Get ready for it. This isn't just any ordinary golf nerd. Uh, a um, winner on the PGA Tour. A, um, a deep, I'll talk about a deep thinker on uh, the game of golf, not only from the physical standpoint, but more importantly from the mental side. A uh, frequent guest on many podcasts. We're uh, lucky enough to uh, have a direct line to him. The founder and creator of MindTrack. And uh, I'm happy to say a, uh, a new butt of ours. He was an acquaintance, but now we're friends because he calls me all the goddamn time. Uh, please say hi to Richard Dick Zokel. Hello, Zokola. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Look at you. Look at you. You know what? You're aging pretty good. Seriously, look at <laughs> Aging you. is right. You're right. <laughs> Fuck. Look at the three of us. We're 210 years old between the three of us. I know. That's gross. <laughs> um, good to be with you. It's good to see you. You know, I we talked briefly before the show. We missed a, gi- a giant opportunity. Nick Taylor wins the Canadian Open, we do a show the following week. And the week after I was with Timmy, I said, you know, man, we blew it because we could easily have called Richard and said, hey, man, first of all, what did you think of that? And also some perspective on being one of the Canadians who was hounded for years with the question, when is a Canadian going to make Canadian Open? So why don't we start with that? What were your thoughts when Nick Taylor drained, uh, drained the 72-foot putt and then just continue on what it was like being you all those years? It was, a, it was one of those moments, um, seeing kind of like when Henderson made the goal uh, from a golf perspective and how all of us who played the tour, and at the time there was only three, really, Dave Barr, Dan Halderson, myself, Jim Nelford as well, before he had his accident. And, and every year we came to the Canadian Open. And I remember 1984 very specifically because Jim Hunt, shaky Hunt, 
wrote an article in the uh, whatever, whoever he was writing for at the time said, Canadians have two chances, slim and none. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, nice. you know, so when you're in the trenches and, you know, the Canadians, Dave Bard, Dan Holderson, myself, Jim Nelford, we, you know, we're proud people. We're proud in representing our nation. <laughs> and, and that year I finished fifth and it was a very big deal. And I came in after the first round and, and I, I took a stand and I said, who says Canadians can't play golf? But we all know the odds. And uh, when it did, it was a sense of relief. It was a sense of gratitude. It well, I wasn't sure. I don't think anyone was sure it was going to happen in our lifetime. But the fact that it did, it was a big, big deal. Rubenstein called me. My coach called me from Texas and said, look, you guys laid the bricks down and, and, uh, and, and congratulations. So I did feel very much a part of it. Uh, Tim and I got a call. This is so weird because Tim and I had had David Ledbetter on the show. And that night, uh, after all the hoopla <laughs> died down, I looked at our email and like David Ledbetter was calling to congratulate us, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, in, in the Americans really kind of they scratched their head about this every time they came to Canada. They, the first thing they said, you guys are a bunch of donut eating mothers, number one, because there is three Tim Hortons on every corner <laughs> and when they got into the GTA. But they also kind of went, they scratched their heads like, man, what's with your press? Why yeah. are they so hounding you guys? What They're, they're just vicious. Uh, and uh, But again, we can uh, now, uh, we, we got so many guys on tour and competing and four guys winning right now. And, and uh, you know, so it, it, there's no, no chance it's going to be that long the next time a Canadian wins the Canadian Open. Nick, I know that, like, for me and my family, we were sitting around watching it. When that 70 foot bomb of a putt went in mm. i mean we all like jumped about a foot off and high fives everywhere i mean an amazing visceral experience like you uh described it's like up there with uh the henderson goal in, in 72 mm. joe carter the home run to win for the jays like we're exactly yeah. what was your what was the reaction in the zokal household well i was amazed because you know i'm going okay this is uh um you know, Fleetwood's showing a little kind of passiveness. He's, you know, or, mm. and, and, you know at the in this and, and, and knowing Nick that, you know, he's going to keep his stuff wired tight. He's, he's that good. But obviously with that 70 foot, 72 foot putt, all you're doing is hoping that he makes this, reads that putt well, executes well, and doesn't have any work left mm-hmm. on that second putt. Exactly. For it to go in. I mean, you saw Nick's reaction. He was shocked. He wasn't expecting it to go in either and his caddy was the one that erupted him and and then all hell broke loose thereafter it was it but, was but, it was a magic moment but in your house what was like did you have a i don't know almost like did you have an emotion like once you get the over the excited part did you was any part of you a little emotional thinking after all the shit that you had to put up with that exactly. it finally that sure. it finally was over for all of us it was the same feeling that when Mike won the Masters, we all shared in it. Mm. And even like when when Ledbetter calls you you guys, you're sharing in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Every Canadian is sharing in this. You know, the, every Canadian shared in Henderson's goal. Every Canadian shared in Mike Weir's victory at, at Augusta. And now with Nick Taylor winning the RBC Canadian Open, uh, you know, all Canadians shared to some degree, right? You were telling us before the show in 1987, sorry, Tim, that uh, you were leading the Canadian Open. So you finished fifth in 84. You led in 87. You won on the tour in 92. 
But in, 80, in 87, I, I guess you were probably in your late 20s at that time. Did it, did it, was it overwhelming in terms yes. of, yeah, okay, talk about that. Big time, big time. So 19, now I, I'm just, you, you, you got to get levels of comfort. And, and in 1984, it was a big deal for me to get in the contention at the Canadian Open. I finished fifth. That was a huge deal. 1986, Anheuser-Busch was the first time I had the lead of a PGA Tour event going into the final round. I shot 79. I wasn't comfortable with the TV cameras leading on, on, nas- on, on national TV. Then in 1987, I still hadn't won yet. Or le- when you win, you, ha- you must learn how to feel comfortable in engaged in that, in that arena. Uh, 1988, I finished second in the Hawaiian Open, played really well. So now I'm starting to get these performances of, of and giving, and that's when you're going to get your stable confidence. And then 1980, in, in 87, when I had the lead going into the, in, in the Canadian Open, uh, tied with Curtis Strange. Now, Curtis Strange was the number one player in the world. Standing on that tee, I was overwhelmed. I, I knew Curtis was going to win. Curtis knew Curtis was going to win. And Curtis knew that I knew that he was going to win. And, and, you know, I wasn't settled like I was in the first three rounds. I shot 75, didn't make a birdie. You know, putts that were going in on the first three rounds were now lipping out because I was just a little edgy. I had not learned to feel comfortable in that breach. And, and that's what you, you, you need to do is, is go through that experience and learn to feel comfortable. So do you think in looking back that Nick Taylor, having had already two wins, under his belt, uh, he was in the mix at the uh, the waste management. That yes. he had that degree of of experience to draw on. He exactly. He's won twice, and particularly in one of those wins was at AT and T. What matters is who you're playing against. He beat Phil Mickelson head to head at Pebble Beach at the AT and T. You don't get any bigger than that in the situation for a person in, in, in that position. And if you haven't been there before, you buckle, you learn from your mistakes. Like when I shot that 79, when I had the lead at Anheuser-Busch in 1986, I felt like roadkill. I was not mm. prepared. I was not, well, I mean, I had not, I, it was, I was prepared as best I could be, but I didn't have the experience at that time. And, and you know, so that's how you learn Dick, I remember you and I talking years and years ago about one of the keys in in competition or golf overall is when it's going good, don't get too high. And when it's not going well, don't get too low. Mm -hmm. Try and have some emotional neutrality going on. What you observed in Nick Taylor, he seems so contained and so stoic no matter what happened. Give us your perspective on what you witnessed in terms of sort of the containment that Nick Taylor was exhibiting? Well, you look at people's, an echo of what's going on in everyone's mind, it echoes out in their body language and the words they say. It's very important. You've got to have kind of a radar up on what it, what, where they're coming from. Nick has always had a great, you know, ever since he was 16, my boys played junior golf with him and he was just as good as any other junior. But at 16, he took off and he separated himself he went down to college, you know, in, in University of Washington. He came out of there as the best amateur in the world. And Nick has always had a strong mindset. He has, he, 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 he's unflappable. You can't tell. And that's his nature. He's, he's naturally, 
um, very calm, very stoic. And, and his ability to do what he did at every level shows, um, if you look at his body language, that he's, um, he's resolute and uh, he's stoic and he's, he's able to access that present moment. Okay, well, that, that was, you know, here's the thing, like I said, we sort of missed an opportunity to have this conversation a few weeks ago when it was, uh, you know, still current. But I, I'm glad we did because, you know, knowing you and knowing that you were in those situations, you know, you bring up Barr and Halderson and Jimmy Nelford and just years and years, you know, what happened to Mike Weir and VJ Singh, you know, we sort of live and die by it. But mm-hmm. it is interesting that you were hounded. And I know Jim Hunt, who uh, I think he was on the, the Toronto Sun. Was he not, Tim? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was. Yeah. Um, I I just I just want to interject. One of the lovely things about Nick Taylor winning is that we no longer have to be reminded yes. every freaking year. Yeah, it won't be. The Canadian hasn't won since '54, so thank you, Nick Taylor. So, but on, but on that point, you were making about how the Canadians have uh, no chance, slim and none, or whatever. It is a Canadian. Oh, it's man. kind of a Canadian thing. I've witnessed it. I was just quickly to tell you a story. I was uh, hosting the year that Mike Weir won the Skins game. I was the host of it. I did several of them, but that one was Freddie Couples, Weir, Price, and um, no, sorry, Duvall and, and John Daly. And the media, I was there in the press conference, and the media kept asking Fred Couples, oh, "Is Mike Weir?" This is before Weir had won the Greater Vancouver Open. They were they were hounding Fred Couples to have Fred Couples tell them if Mike Weir was good enough to win. And finally, <laughs> Couples got frustrated, and he said, "Like fuck it, guys, do you not realize how good this kid is? Like it's almost like we needed outside validation." Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's it's. It's weird. It's it's a, the Canadian thing, I suppose. And uh, you know, there's there's my caddy used to say, "What's the matter with this media? You guys, the Canadian media, <laughs> I know, young. It's like it's like we needed Dylan to say, hey, you know, these kids, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty good.' Um. Anyway, let's segue to uh, I got an email. So for Tim and I, I get an email uh, a few uh, weeks ago, actually uh, four days ago. From uh, Richard Zogel, and uh, I'll read this email, shall I? Howard and Tim, just listen to your last couple of podcasts. If you are feeling frustrated, your level of, and in bold letters, acceptance is not getting to the inflection point you need. He goes on to say, you know you'll be making progress you want when you stop feeling frustration when you play poorly. Letting it go, says Dick. Frustration is an indication that you are still connected emotionally to results, expectations. You can only get to the mindset you want when you stop expectations. You guys are getting stuck again in the golf insanity thought loop. If you have expectations, you will get frustrations. And he goes on. So, Tim, I know you have some pushback. As do I. I was on the phone with the local yesterday and I said, listen, uh, let's not talk about this now because I want to see how this goes when we actually record the show. Um, what is your first thought? Well, let, maybe we start with Richard. So maybe explain to the audience what, what, what made you think that and what you mean by what you've written to us. Well, listening, I, I have a, an ear when I listen to people and the words that come out of their mouth. And, and, and basically when, when, you know, when I look and you, your, your perfect example, Fred, was when you do stand up. And by the live, way, it's, it's Howard. Fred is the guy. <laughs> it's the other guy I work with. I'm but that's fine. <laughs> I'm actually staring right over yeah. your head. We're, su- we're, we're and, such good friends. He thinks sorry. my name is Fred. <laughs> <laughs> 
Howard, so yes, you, when yes, you're Jim, bogey, it's okay. We'll when you're, when you're, you spoke about it earlier, actually. When you're, uh, when you go live, you, you, you are, in, you are in the moment. Yes, your performance historically, whether it be on the radio or in stand-up, you're, you've, you've already performed, and you have a file in you of which you default to, and you. Are, what you've created from the um, uh, when you go live on the microphone and or on the stand on the stage, that's the process of you that you have mastered. You're trying to do that with golf. So when you go into doing that with golf, and if you're thinking about swing or technique or results, that means you have expectations because that's how it's structured. You, when you have expectations, you're projecting forward to what may or may not happen and, and the score. That is a killer. So I am looking, when I talk to you, Howard, after a round, I'm looking for, I, I'm listening to you and say, well, if I did this and I did that and I did, you know, and it's about, I made, I made five bogeys through here after I made three birdies. Those are all indications that you're still stuck on the result. So I want to hear in the whole process of conditioning is is your performance based on assessing and executing. When you start focusing and, and measuring your performance, not by what you shot, but how well you assessed and how well you executed that shot, then you have broken through that. You've pierced that veil. But right now there's this this thought loop that regenerates itself. And then there's this frustration mm-hmm. and you know, it's been going on for some time. I agree with all of that. That's that's wonderful stuff. But what where I sort of had a, where I paused around this was the sense of what was in your email, and then maybe just the 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 problem that we have with email. I think it's quite frankly one of the worst right. communication mediums ever invented because sure. there's so much in writing that's you know between the lines and and inflection not, tone, exactly yeah. Yeah, all absolutely. of that but what came through to me in reading the email was that in essence if we're practicing acceptance we shouldn't be feeling something like frustration which we'll call uh, an emotion so what is frustration it is it's kind of like a mixture of of sadness um anger uh, confusion all these things and to me that's that's something that it's almost it's like a visceral thing it's like i take a punch and i'm naturally going to go ouch and to me that's kind of what happens to us in it, well, I'll speak in my own experience. I'll just speak with the uh, perpendicular pronoun I. That when stuff happens, wham, I get hit with something. And so that could be termed frustration. Mm-hmm. It could be termed, it could, it could be something else. But I don't have any control over that. I don't have any control over what my mind does. I do, I can respond in a way, but. Uh, but in terms of controlling my thoughts or my feelings, no. And I can't even, I don't even think one could manage them. But I do think because they just, they come up. And then it's how I respond. So, yeah, in the moment, I could have something come up and I say, okay, I'm frustrated by this, but what do I need to so do? So, what is your pushback on what Richard said, though? Well, that, 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 that we don't have con- we that don't you have, have no control of your emotions. Okay. So he's saying, oh yeah, yeah. so that you're because you're yeah, saying so that you have no, you, con- we have no control you, over our emotions. Yeah, Tim said he has no control over his thoughts and no control over his emotion. Nope. I'm going to go. Well, 
Yeah, oh, okay. I'll stay. I'll stay with that. Yeah, I'll stay with. Yeah, that. I'm saying you have absolute control of your thoughts. You have absolute control of your emotions if you know how to control your thoughts. Your thoughts, you know, if you think of horrible things all the time, I think you're going to feel like a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You're going to have fear. I so you you can put you can have a thought protocol a specific that will shift your emotions. My emotional being, my emotional state standing on the first tee with, paired with Curtis Strange having the lead of the Canadian Open made me feel very nervous, feelings of nervousness, mm-hmm. anxiety. And I learned over the years through to control my thoughts, which shifted my emotions. So I believe you can, and if you don't have a proper protocol to think properly, you're going to go down the rabbit hole and produce the same thing, that thought loop over and over again. And when you think of that, man, you're just going, you're just going to, you're not going to make any progress at all. And I I understand what Tim is saying that, and I don't think you mean that we have no control over our thoughts, but that emotions are a natural state. Sure they are. And we were pointing about getting punched, but I, you know, I've been reading Raymond Pryor's book. I know he's a fellow mind track dude and I've got so much stuff in here that I picked out for this morning, but let me just read you one thing. Cause he, this is under the heading. Everything starts with awareness. He says, no golfer is immune to the disappointment that comes with failure and struggle. In fact, experiencing and learning to coexist with uncomfortable thoughts tea, uh, on the first tee with, Ray, uh, with uh, Curtis Strange and emotional discomfort are unavoidable requirements for long-term growth and being able to perform under pressure. Sure. So what he's saying, and I think, he, I think what he's saying is that we all are going to feel these things. It's sure. how you react and how you... Yeah. How you learn to coexist with these feelings. And how you learn. How you learn to deal with these things. And they're difficult. They're not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Right. And, and, and you need to have an awareness that this past thought you had is not going to serve you well. Mm-hmm. You have to have an awareness of this thought right here is exactly what I need to do. I need to do more of it. And that's what the protocol of MindTrack is all about, is to stop you, the user, from being emotionally attached to the results. To to results. To results. You want to shift your focus and attach your emotions to these other two measurements, assessing and executing. And where I wanted to push back with you, where I, where I, is, is like, you know, we've talked quite a bit. We haven't talked in a few weeks. And to be honest with the audience, I've gotten away because I don't, I wasn't doing it on my phone. I was doing it, writing down, assessing and executing shots, but I've gotten away from it, you know, um, slip back. Yeah. yeah, And I slip back and, and, and I've had nothing but, you know, a pretty tough time of it. The last three weeks, I've played a lot of tournament golf and outside of a 27 hole time last Thursday with Tim, where I had an absolute blast, but there wasn't the con there wasn't, as much on it to me. So Mm -hmm. I just enjoyed myself. But in some of the tournaments I wanted to play well in my bigger tournaments, they were just dreadful. Expectations. Uh, Right. But but that's what I want to, hold on, hold on. You said those words right there. Those 
tournaments that I wanted yeah. to play Okay, but well. this is my pushback. You can't help. Listen, don't tell me you went into the Canadian Open exactly. with the same mindset you did with the Dinky Doo Pro-Am at uh, fucking Bug Tussle. And Oklahoma. And by the way, I've got your results from the Dinky Doo. You could have played better. Well, I know, but but where the breakthrough comes in yes. with the process I delivered, I'm delivering to you and working is this is the process. And and again, I'm letting you know from an awareness perspective that when you want something badly, yes. those are expectations. So without kind of feeling you know threatened by it just go ooh, awareness that you're right this is what i'm doing okay so when i get back into the next date next round event if you're and that's why i said you you you, you got to look at the driving range if you get to the driving range and you're starting to you're, you should only worry about how well you're executing these shots. Go on the driving range to warm up and execute shots so you can take it on the golf course. Right. The golf course is the front line, and that's where you have to think. Off when, you know, and I worry that, Howard, the way your mind is and how you're wired tight and you, your thoughts are going a million miles an hour, it's easy to slip back. Yeah. And you just have to keep going at it, keep going at it, being aware that though when you say, I want this, that's not a good thought. No, I get it. It's, well, it's, it's, and, I'll throw it over to Tim in a second, but it's certainly not serving me very well. But what I would say... Right. It's hurting is, you. Yeah. I would it's say back. for Howard to have a thought that he wants to play well doesn't show that he's, uh, say, of weak character. Or for sake of example... Oh, gosh, no. I'm standing on a tee, and I suddenly become aware, oh, I'm even par... I could win my club championship. We're well, projecting forward with that. Not uh, right. But I don't have control over that. Yes, it you just, do. Uh, no, I disagree 100%. I will have the thought. It, it just jumps up. It's like a okay. bubble that comes up and it. Awareness. You pick it up. Yeah, it comes up. I, I could win this. Now, the awareness. So I don't have control that that thought's going to come up. I don't have control that the thought. It just okay. erupted. What I do have control over is how I can respond to it. And Correct. so, oh, I thought of that. Okay. So it doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean I have bad habits. It doesn't mean well, anything. Yeah, but nobody's saying anybody's it's, weak. No one's saying Hang on. you're yeah. weak. It just, there's no, there's, no, no, there's, no, no not, there's no reason to attach those feelings that you're less of a but person. What I'm saying that is that no weak. one's making a mistake by having the thought. No, but I don't think anyone's a mistake. I, I, no one's saying that, but I don't think anyone said there, that it's a mistake to think those things. No, but I think, but I think it's I'm a mistake. taking issue with the idea you can tr- yeah, control but I think your it's thoughts. A, it's a, you can't control your thoughts. Well, thought. you can't. I just don't. I, you, you can no. control them by recognizing that they're a thought. Yeah. But and that you can choose up. how to respond. But you, the you thought comes up regardless. Okay. In the I, and then Richard, you let aware of it. Richard, Richard let me take this. I know what Tim's saying because <laughs> I speak Tim. Um, <laughs> what he's saying, that, and, and I, I get what you mean, Tim, that we can't, that's one of the things that uh, uh, Sam Harris talks about in any kind of mindfulness practice. We're all, like the, that phrase I love, the heart, the brain pumps thoughts like the heart pumps blood. So exactly. you, you have no control over a thought coming in. I'm on the first tee with Curtis Strange. This is a, a big stage for me. It's, you do have control. Let me interpret what I think Richard's saying. All of a sudden, I'm a moderator. Let me, is, is that, um, well, I've been moderating my whole life. So um, what Richard's saying, though, and I believe this, Tim, is that you have the thought. I have all these thoughts that are going on. Why can't I let it go? This is important, whatever. It's how you take those in. 
I agree 100%. And, well, and so, so we're right. So and there's nobody. There's, I, again, I know that you're, you're, you have this. There's a default, like somehow we're weaker or less than because we have these thoughts. We all do, but I think what Richard and a lot of mindfulness, including Raymond Pryor, say is you do have a choice in how you interpret and reconfigure your brain, Judson Brewer styles, and react and react. And unfortunately for me. And I guess you've been hearing it in my voice uh, or in my talk, Richard, is unfortunately for me, I've been, you know, death spiraling through all these tournaments. But as I said, but as I said to you yesterday on the phone, like you're a tournament player, I haven't had many days of the last 21 where I haven't had to tee it up somewhere. I haven't had a lot of time to kind of recover, reflect and rest. So. You know, props to you from playing three and four tournaments in a row. Because when it's not going well, you still got to tee it up next week. Oh gosh, yeah. Try, try, trying to make a living at it. I mean, you know, oh I God. was in these moments struggling with trying to learn these angles to do it. And if I didn't do it, I mean, I couldn't pay the mortgage, right? Put food on the table. So it was. It forced me to. And I'm going. I either got to get this mindset <laughs> thing right, or I'm gonna. I'm gonna starve. So what what do we learn is that, you know, let's get back to some of the foundational stuff that we talked about, you know, a few months ago. And after talking to you today, I'm going to, you know, go go. And a couple of things I read in Raymond's book that really stuck with me is that I have been playing from a place of fear and anxiety. And I know a lot of golfers can relate to this. You know, we all have moments where there's a certain hole we don't like or a certain shot that gives us trouble or chipping or whatever. But I have felt like that in my body about my entire game for weeks now. And yet... Well, you've been, you've been conditioned that way your whole life yeah. in golf. It, it, you know, 95% of it has been conditioned emotionally. And, and, and like everyone else, no one teaches how to structure your perspective, your mindset. And in, in you, this is what the protocol is all about. And I make this analogy all the time. If you're, so let's say you're obese. You're an obese person, if I can say that. <laughs> and you want to get fit. You go to the gym. You have to follow a physical fitness protocol in order that's going to burn more energy and you drop weight. It is a protocol. The same thing with the mind. You, if you want to get a be present but you're constantly projecting about that score or that result you're going to spin your tires and you're not going to make traction and that the vast majority even the best players on the pga tour are in this golf insanity state you got to break it and you when when you pick it up you when you catch yourself this awareness thing Mm -hmm. when you catch it you have a go-to like your execution what is your your shot routine and you got it's a reboot and uh, with every single shot okay and so so richard i again i agree with you on on so much of that but you know i'm at risk of being a very literal person um the way you put it across sounds so freaking logical you want you're obese you want to lose weight so what Mm -hmm. do you do you follow a protocol and you go to the gym i mean everything you read says that exercise more eat less so why do so many people fail at at going to the gym and becoming less obese why do so many people fail at defeating an addiction to alcohol or to something else. Why do so many people fail to control their anger or to be more assertive? 
it has nothing to do to me with logic. It has to do with the foundational um, wounds and they emotions and feelings. Right? Yeah, they haven't. Yeah, they so, haven't learned or condi- been conditioned to successfully deal with these situations. Yeah, I, exactly. So where I'm starting from is it. It's it. It sounds like so many ways. If we listen, follow the experts. Well, you want to do this? Just do this. Well, to me, there has to be an understanding that what keeps people stuck is a lot of old shit and and it's in their feelings and their and their wounds sure, and their traumas their parents, the, the exactly so it starts there so that's the that's the hesitancy i have with if you want to do better, just do this. Well, I don't, I'm not saying you're doing I that. I don't think he's saying just do this. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm saying, saying you are. But to me, it's just it's a lot more complicated than. Well, we can make what I've been hearing. I think it's important to simplify, simplify, simplify. And then when you get it simple, you even simplify it more. And mm-hmm. then we brought it down to the essence as it relates to golf. For those who want to access the present moment. You cannot access the present moment when you're emotionally tied to the results and you constantly project forward to what may or may not happen. Yeah, I agree. You're going to yeah, live again, in, I agree. in a hell. Okay. But, and, but, and you, so you have to start a protocol, a different thought exercise that shifts you away, that stops your attentional focus on the result and the future projection to this over here. Oh, we call it. Key performance markets, assessing and executing. Okay, but 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 I don't but I don't I don't think Richard's making it. I, listen, I don't think it's as simple as Richard's making it, which is why. And again, I understand what Tim's saying. As somebody that's quit smoking and quit drinking and you know lost weight, I can tell you that it's not. And and this is where Raymond Pryor's book is so valuable because what he talks about it. What he talks a lot about it is, yes, it's not just about doing more things. It's not about doing a protocol. And yes, Richard's making it seem simple here, but it's about reframing how you think about things and then using this protocol of mind track to assess and execute. But it's not, again, I know what Tim's bringing up, that it sounds like, well, we should just go out in the golf course and do it today. But we, it, but here's the thing that, Richard, uh, that Raymond said, Dr. Pryor said, is first you have to identify what are the things that trigger me? So in the case of food, is it a holiday? Are you at a, an event? You, you know, and with you know, all the other cessation programs, they talk about identifying your triggers, and then there's a methodology around it. So Here's... Here's Raymond Pryor, his quote, the most effective way to achieve an outcome-based goal is to clarify the goal and then detach from it. Being emotionally, being emotionally and intentionally detached from the, from the goal is what allows you to actually focus on the work required to pursue them. It gives you the best chance of reaching them. Exactly. And I would say this, like, we, we've talked a lot about it and... It's not, it's simple, as you said, and we've said this about a lot of other things in golf. Some of these things are simple to understand. They're not easy to do. But what is the, op, what, like, what, what's the, um, what would I say? What's the alternative? Just to continue on, I mean, it's like using myself as an example, just continuing yeah. on feeling kind of shitty about my golf scores and my golf results. And, and at some point, okay. 
And at some point, as you say, I've got to get out of this golf insanity thought loop that I'm in, that I should right. be better, I should be doing better. How can I... And, and one, again, let me just finish by saying, and one of the things I read last night, just before I turned out the lights, was what he said is about ident- coming up with your own, the things that trigger me in golf and trigger golfers. It's not just me. We all have comparative thoughts. We all have anxiety we all have frustration but it's coming up with your own triggers and then you you find a way to interrupt those thoughts again reacting to things you're thinking so okay so the first the the thing the word that uh, really lights up when i hear you say when i play you know play and i feel shitty yeah boom there is a red flag you're feeling shitty why that's the awareness thing Mm -hmm. okay so now you're going, hey, you know what? I want to stop this. I don't want to feel shitty anymore. I don't want to. And you have a choice. You can feel shitty if you hit a good shot. You can feel shitty if you hit a bad shot. And you can stop feeling shitty after you do it. And then start to kind of restructure how your perspective is. Mm-hmm. I don't like feeling shitty. I try and avoid it. And, and, and so I, instead of, I go, you know what? I didn't make a good assessment on that. It cost me two shots on this one shot. I don't like that, but I'm not going to make, I'm not going to take it personally because I've detached emotionally from it. I'm not going to make myself feel less of a person and and feel shitty about it. I'm I'm just going to improve the next time I have this opportunity. But I would say defending Tim's point, it's easy to say that for a lot of golfers listening, they go, yeah, I wish I didn't feel that way, but there's some deeper work involved and I would, again, having now gone back and reread some of Raymond stuff, I would recommend it because, you know, it is so universal. He says some common unproductive habits many golfers have include dwelling, anxiety, guided swings, jabby putts. Sound like anybody? <laughs> you know, doesn't that sound like that sounds like a lot of golfers listening? That's frustrated. The, the loop from hell. Exactly. So, um, yeah, dude. So I, you know, listen. I understand it foundationally, and I can tell you that uh, I've I've tired myself out feeling this way. Yeah. You, so it's kind of like you get you, you're you're that guy with the sledgehammer, and you got this big boulder in front of you, you got <laughs> and you're banging on it. Yeah. And it takes you ten thousand whacks of this to split that rock. Yeah. Was it the first hammer hit? Was it the last one that split it? It was. It was all the hammer hits on this rock. You have to say, okay, this is the path to to access the present moment, and with you got to break it down in its simplest form, and it's on a shot by shot basis, and you have to measure that performance of the and, and have the awareness of those two key performance markers. It's the only way. If you don't have a thought protocol, you will default to what you're talking about, Tim. You will be consumed about what may or may not happen and have anxiety with that and uh, it'll dis- and it'll keep you in the same spot it won't allow you to improve listen man uh, we love talking to you you're a very you're, you know what you're a nice you're a very nice fellow and uh, I appreciate the time you give me personally and uh, I think the audience appreciates hearing uh, appreciates hearing your perspective absolutely fun. this was really fun Dick thank you so much and oh, now what we do good. what we do with all our guests is we let you go and then we just shit talk you for the next 15 minutes it's, it's a great it's a great hallmark of our uh, <laughs> Hey, we didn't even talk about. Uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah. Tell tell quickly. Tell the story about yeah, the call you got the other day. Oh yeah, yesterday. I, I Derek Ingram, who's the national coach for Golf Canada, he came. He gave me a call. 
and uh, and he says, you know, he was talking to me about uh, well, how mind track, and I told him that we have put it into a state of hibernation because what he wanted to do is to get Nick Taylor on this because mm. now that he's won the Canadian Open. When you break through these barriers, you get these new levels of expectations, and, and, mm. and Derek is getting ahead of it, which I give him a tremendous amount of of credit for for circumventing what may or what could happen, getting out in front of it. So and uh, so he wants Nick to uh, you know to start doing mind track as he mentioned. He wants to do it the next couple of days and introduce it to him so he can uh, circumvent the situation. I can't I can't help but ask. So what is Derek concerned about that Nick like what is what's the danger that Nick well, might said he might get yeah, into? Yeah, so so he did tell me that. So I'm only uh, you know uh, guessing the reason why when you get to it's kind of like. I had a situation when I, I wanted to become. I wanted to win a tournament on the PGA Tour. So when you, I achieve that goal, it, it, you, you, your mindset changes and your expectation changes. And you, if you don't lay down the proper framework to get to the next level, like winning a major championship, mm-hmm. you can easily slip into an expectation. I would just, I'm the Canadian that won the Canadian Open after you know 54 mm-hmm. years. Therefore, I must perform better. I must be that guy every time I tee it up. Exactly. And that's the pressure what you want to avoid. It's, again, jumping forward to those expectations. It's, All right. It's, it's answered. Well, this Thank is, you. If you've ever heard a talk show or the Academy Awards, you know that when the music plays, there that's you your go. time to get off the stage. Richard Zorkel. <laughs> hey, man, listen, uh, I'm going to catch up with you. I'm taking a few days off. I wanted to get a, a conversation. We'll have a coffee this weekend and, uh, and chat it up if you have a minute. Look forward to it. Okay, man. Thanks so much, guys. There's uh, right, Richard Zogel you. from uh, Mike. By the way, I'm just telling people I, I'm with. I'm I'm an official Mind Track uh, consultant. So there you go. I thought that was great. I knew. I said to him, he called me yesterday, and I said, "Stop," because he started telling me all this stuff. I said, "Stop, stop, stop," because <laughs> that guy is a, also a plus seven chatter. I said, "Just oh, yeah. stop. Let's have the conversation with O'Connor." And by the way, I didn't mean to moderate what you were saying. I just wanted to clarify it for him. But also, you know, I know I knew where you were going. That that uh, about you know people have no we we have no control over the thoughts we have, but we do have control over the reaction to the thoughts we have. Yeah. So the the word I agree with you one hundred percent. To me, so maybe it's just semantics. Yeah. So um, something happens. And I react. That's habitual. It just kind of have. It's like when the doctor hits you with that little little hammer in the knee, and and your uh, your your leg kicks out. A reaction, like you normally do, uh, like particularly under stress or something. But responding is a different thing because to me, response is okay. Now I'm sort of discerning from a place of a little bit more peace. I can I sort of. I, I, I'm calm. I, I can make a good decision. Thus, I can respond. So that's just a semantic thing that that I go with. It's I agree. Yeah, but the problem with that is that the semantics of it belay or take away from the. I think a little bit from the point you're making, which is we we do have control over how we react. Because if we didn't, we'd be punching everyone in the face. Um, it's how you respond. But it's yeah, how you respond. Whatever. So respond, here's a, react. Whatever. Here's sure. a, but but again, back to Raymond's book. He says, telling ourselves or someone else to quiet your mind or just don't think is surface level psychology that reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of how our brain and brain and mind work. Thinking and feeling freely 
is highly beneficial and a significant marker of psychological strength. Um, and, and a lot of what he says in the, in the book is basically the first part is, a, is understanding that awareness, which is what we're talking about, is, is part of the cure. You know, that famous phrase, awareness is curative. But if you're not aware, like I have been in the past, and I'm now becoming aware again, that, that you will default, to your point, to reacting. And, you know, the progress I've made during the eight years of this show is because of the awareness that I have a tendency to react and respond in ways that aren't beneficial to my golf game. Now, I've stopped punching the inside of my windshield, but I guarantee you, <laughs> there, that's a true story if you're a new listener, I guarantee you there have been times in the last three weeks where I've wanted to, and uh, which is why Zokal could hear it in my voice and hear me talking about the way my game was going. Yeah, yeah. Again, the most fun I've had playing golf in the last three weeks was with you last Thursday. Hands down. <laughs> Hands down, the most fun, the most I've laughed, the most I've goofed around. Played shitty. Sorry, Richard, but I did. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The, in so many ways, what happens to us um, really in some, is, is, as Richard said, we're conditioned. So you grow up, let's say you grow up in a, in a family uh, that's highly dysfunctional, uh, say impoverished. Um, dad's been through some stuff. He's an alcoholic. Mom's a um, uh, mom schizophrenic perhaps well that kid is going to grow up in that environment where he needs to be very careful to stay out of trouble mm-hmm. so he's a, so he'll grow up very cautious um, and and not take risks um, perhaps I'm just a riffing here so that that comes so those messages I have to be careful don't get in trouble, don't make a mistake. That's at a foundational level as a child. And so that's the way that the, a child interprets the world. That's what we do. It's, that's how we make ourselves safe. And so you grow up, and as an adult, you're living out, in essence, these scripts you wrote as a child that keep you safe. And so that's the issue that, that I think that Pryor's getting at, is that there's foundational things that are going on that – that just, you know, they happen and bam, the trigger and we react. But it's then being able to like, oh, damn it. I'm, I'm in this again. I'm thinking about my score, the result, or I'm caught in this behavior. What, how can I respond? Okay. Then it's, that's the awareness of like, maybe, okay, I could just breathe a bit, focus on something else, and then you can start to take action. But, that's what I mean about not having control over the initial, I think maybe that's the key word, the initial feeling and the thought that bubbles up. But then it's how do you respond to it? One, one of the things he talks about, <clears throat> I don't know why, I'll, you know, I, I do know why I'm talking about the book because I've been reading it in the last couple of days mm-hmm. again. But not that, what, again, I just keep questioning what you're saying, but what he actually says is we have, we have an old brain, the initial, the, the brain that was formed millions of years ago, and it's the one that reacts for safety right not that taking away from your your story about the alcoholic parents and etc we all have a story we all we're, we're all formed by whatever environment we grew up in but before that the initial reaction the old brain he calls it is the one that is reactive 
danger, safety, food, survival, you know, water, hydration, etc. And that's the one that we need to sort of override in this game of golf because not everything is a threat. The water on the left-hand side in the first hole of your golf club, sometimes if you default to your older brain reaction, you're going to perceive it in a way that's not appropriate. It's not that big of threat level. And the new brain, you know, the one that's only 100,000 years old or whatever, that is the one where you have the choice, where Mm -hmm. you can, as he calls it, recognize the trigger what is triggering me? I'm on the first tee. There are people watching. Or it's the Ontario Senior Am qualifier. So there's a trigger. And then, then you recognize the part of the problem is we're always trying to fix something. We've talked about this in our show. My, one of the first episodes we ever, we ever did was, you know, my, my swing is broken and I must fix it. That's the mantra of all golfers, me and you included. You know, there were times last Thursday. I know you did it. I did it where, you know, we had a couple of rough holes and I guarantee you we're going through like the Rolodex of shit that can fix these bad swings that we're making. I know you mm-hmm. did because the last four holes, you were magical. Um, but that's part of the problem is what's the trigger? Then, of course, we th- the doing mind, as he calls it, is the, the mind that goes, well, I must do something to fix this, even though... Even though it's not necessarily the behavior that we need at that moment, but we feel that even though it's not may not be the right thing, we feel the reward, as he calls it, is that we're doing something. Now, I know oh, my yeah, brother, 100%. my older brother's going to hear this and send me a note and go, well, that's not psychologically correct because I have two degrees in master's in psychology. But I'm I just, <laughs> listen, I don't have grade 12, so I'm doing the best I can. But well, that's, I think, again, I think... We're saying the same thing. I don't think uh, so. <laughs> I do. I do. So the brain is wired to keep you alive. That's yes. The old brain is. Yeah, exactly. The, the initial, so, yeah. The survival so what happens, brain. So, so to me, what happens is a lot of this old shite that happens, you know, whether you take the example of the kid with alcoholic parents or whatever messages or, or whatever happened to you growing up, um, that is usually unconscious most people don't even know that that stuff exists sure i agree and so with that. the brain again the brain interprets all these different signals and feelings um as a threat so you know to my sort of survive i've got to do things so i don't feel the pain mm-hmm. and i'll take i'll put various strategies in place and i think for a lot of for a lot of golfers um there's a there's this sense this overriding sense of basically of inadequacy that they can't do it. So thus they have to look outside themselves uh, and, and, you know, look on YouTube for uh, uh, something's going to help them, you know, make a change. Um, and, and if they could, it, it's not if they could just, but I just think that for so many of us, there, there's, there's a lack of recognition that we've got these old belief systems and stories and, and things that are going on, um, and that's where we get trapped in, in kind of the old brain. And well, and I think what Richard's saying too, survival. I think what he's, yeah, okay, what Richard kind of proposing, and I'm going to, you know, again, I was very vigilant, diligent, mm-hmm. you know, tracking the assessment and performance of my golf game. And then I let it go and got back into the idea of, of assessing my performance based on how, each individual shot was part of a continuum of shitty shots that I was hitting. Um, but the point is, I think Richard's making is that you got to do something. 
I mean, fix, yes, fix your, you know, fix your brain. Sure, recognize that you have uh, some issues, but you got to do something that's different than the way you're doing it today. You've got to learn to assess yourself on the golf course in a way that's different than what you did yesterday. Or if you don't, because it's almost like the old fake until you make it. Yep. Um, so well, I just, this is what transformation is. Well, but, but Transformation is understanding what's going on and then doing the hard work. No one moves forward in this world without going through some kind of a battle. Sure. But I listen, I've quit smoking. I've quit drinking. So I've got some actual visceral experience of doing cessation. So the point is, yeah, I understood it theoretically, but I did it. I just went ahead and did it first and then figured it out after. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people go, well, I'll figure it out and then I'll take some action. I say, take some action. Because if you don't, today is going to be exactly like yesterday. If you have a weight loss problem, yeah, you might want to figure out what your relationship with food is. But starting tomorrow, maybe drink more water, eat less, move more, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, oh, yeah, we, we can spend a lot of time staring at our navels, wondering, you know, why we're the way we are and never take any action. I, like, I love what you're saying. So in essence, that's why to me, I often say, why is the worst question? Why do I do this? Well, you could spend 10 years in therapy doing that and still never get it figured out. But what are you doing? Exactly. So that leads to action. Well, finally, and- finally, we're saying the same thing. 55 minutes into this stupid show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it always comes down to action. And, well, and, that's uh, what I'm saying. And that's what he's saying. You know, that, you know, yes, we're all flawed. But yeah, if you but don't, then, but, yeah, but if you we'll don't do thought. something, today is going to be exactly like yesterday. And so will tomorrow. And you'll still be drinking Friday. Yeah. So, Mike, the reason that what I bring up is that overwhelmingly the majority of people don't move forward like they'd want to you sir are obsessive i know freak of nature no i I mean like you learned how to ride a unicycle you became a pilot Mm -hmm. you did incredibly probably and yet i'm still still lonely and hate myself okay (laughs) welcome to the team uh (laughs) no but and and i'll just I'll just a bit of a risk, but I'm not sure. Probably the hardest thing you ever did was quit drinking, no. or maybe not. But whatever. Um, but the overwhelming majority of people do not move forward in their lives, and so they they try to take action. They join a gym, they go to AA, or they do something, but yet they persist. You know, and, and so to me, it's coming to understand that you're not broken. There's just some stuff that's going on that you may not be aware of. Uh, that's that keeps you stuck in these old behaviors and that's to me is what so much of what um judson brewer talks about around awareness and external focus yeah all of that and so it's coming to understand what's what's really going on here and and it's um that's the hard part is that people like a lot of us don't want to look in those hard spots so you know we'll pour alcohol on it or we'll work more or whatever that's the hard part is doing the work. Well, okay. So back to the idea of taking action, uh, do something. Um, so I, have uh, had a rough, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely was a tough stretch of time. I didn't qualify for the senior am, uh, played like shit in the senior rider cup, like bad, bad, you know, uh, had my worst round of the year in the second round. And, but the problem was I had to keep on playing. Like I was talking about this with Zokal yesterday. Like, 
It's been day after day after day of tournament golf. And so after Sunday, and I was like, you know, I felt pretty shitty and, you know, humiliated, whatever. And I, but I still have to go to see it up the next day with the, all the guys that beat me, including the guy that beat me, the, the guy that won. And there we were again. This was a great lesson for me because there we were again, senior Ryder Cup team, all good players. And no one, no one's like, no one cared what I shot. We were, I was a fun lunch. We had lunch and then we warmed up together. And I felt like just, just like I always do, kind of like one of the guys, one of the better players, blah, blah, blah. And then we played a team. Me and my partner, Tim Southcott, both played well. I'm going to tell you what we shot. I shot 74, 75, like at, at worst. Like it was a pretty, it was the first day in a long while where I was like, oh, there's my golf game. Because somebody, I feel like, here's what it's felt like last month. That somebody else has got my golf swing and they're fucking around with it. And uh, <laughs> I've got somebody else's golf swing. So, but, so we both shot around 74, 75. The guys we played between them were both two under par. They birdied seven of the first 14 holes. I kid you not. It was something to see. They birdied two of the first three. And the reason I bring it up is because after Sunday's round, just like, I'm going to compare myself to Justin Thomas, but this is the metaphor or whatever, comparable. Justin Thomas shot 81 in the second round of the U.S. Open. And last week came back and shot 62 twice or whatever it was. But he, he just had to tee it up the next week. So I go the next... Here's what happened. When these guys made two birdies in the first three holes, I had this feeling in my brain like... Like this... Like I have, I have nowhere to hide. So I had to focus. Like it was the weirdest thing. I had more focus, more assessment, more execution oriented on Monday than I've had for weeks. And I was going to tell that to Zokal. I forgot that part. Hmm. Like I felt more present, more in the moment, more engaged with the game than I have in a while. And what did it produce? I know we're not supposed to say results, but it produced better executions. Cause I can't tell you, like I played 27 holes with you. I didn't hit, I hit I, I some decent shots, but I hit nothing like the shots I was hitting on Monday because these guys, I, we weren't going to win holes with bogeys. We didn't win one hole with anything but a birdie. And so because of that, something just changed in me that I was like, like, oh, I better be here now because I wasn't steering it. And it's a, it was a funny, it's the tightest course I've played in weeks. And I was just engaged. And I, that was sort of the, like a, a great reminder to me that that's what the golf, that's what the game requires of us. Um, and that's a word that doesn't seem to get thrown around much, but engagement with the process is what I would leave everyone with. Well, what I like, what's so cool about that is that um, you were, in essence, thrust into um, an experience where, like, you were, like, really challenged. I mean, it's one (laughs) thing to play at a 27-hit-and-giggle, two-man, you know, senior event. It's another thing to be, you know, you're representing your club, you're paired with Tim Southcott, you want to play well, and so it's like, whoa, uh, I could uh, sink or swim here. Mm-hmm. And you decided that, yeah, I'm going to swim to the best of my ability. And just, it's like, that's why nervousness is a good thing. This is why adrenaline can often help because this is when, to me, if you look at sort of practice and performance, performance is almost always better than the practice because there's just heightened awareness. But you stepped right into it, man. You could have, you could have said, screw it. 
I don't well, care. And, and the funny thing is, if the guys we were playing, like we played uh, a, an event the week before Senior Ryder Cup, and, and to be fair, the guys we were playing, you know, they weren't at our level. They were nice, really nice people. Um, but Kind of like most of the guys in the Blue Springs team. <laughs> it, it was like an entire, yeah, and we won like seven and f- five. Or it, was, it, was a, it was pretty pretty easy. And if these guys we played on Monday had it been like that, I don't think I would have played as well. But yeah. it wasn't just that I wanted to represent my team. It was that, like, literally, I left the golf course Sunday. I was re- I'll read you some of the texts. Like, I'm quitting. I'm going back to flying. You know, I told yeah, my daughters. Yeah, yeah, I told my that. kids. I don't want. Daddy doesn't want to talk. I was all mopey. And one of my daughters called me because my other daughter called her and said, something's wrong with daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get a call from Charlie like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't want to talk right now. So I go there Monday. And if these guys hadn't birdied, they birdied. He, like I'm telling you, the front nine, I looked at their scores. One guy was two under. The other guy was one under. They were four under as a team. We lost the front nine, three holes down. Like It was crazy where these guys were making putts from. But it didn't, instead of moping, I was like, okay. And when I say I had nowhere to hide, I was like, you know, either we do this or or not, right? And it was the idea that it it, it just gave me that it made it brought me it sort of slapped me in the face to the present tense, mm-hmm. to the moment of this is what I got to do now, especially when you're playing with a partner and he's out of the hole off the tee. Well, now what do you do? You better oh, hit yeah. the fair. You better hit something. So. It was a great reminder of what I do when I play better, my best, which is I'm less emotionally sort of involved in it. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Well, you in many ways, it's kind of like your mature, you know, adult self. It's like, what do we need to do here? I need to be clear-minded. You're like the, you know, the uh, the 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 general in the field. If you're losing your shit, everyone's going to get killed. Mm-hmm. So you have to be the one who's remains grounded. Okay, what's happening? What's the best way to respond here? What what do I need to do? Uh, rather than oh shit, we're done for. Oh yeah, we're all gonna die, everybody. Hey, uh, this is a message from your general. We're all going to die, dude. Um, what a pleasure today, as always. That was uh, really fun today. Really yeah, Zoko was great. You're great. We're great. Everything's great. Um, yeah, so we're gonna record uh, again next week. That'll be fun. Uh, do we? Oh yeah, Ledbetter. Do we? Do we talked. We mentioned that Ledbetter is our new best buddy. Now he won't leave us alone. <laughs> oh, so my. Uh, another email from David. Oh, that's Ledbetter. right. Like the oh, first, I guess I better. Read <laughs> that's so funny because the first time it happened when he emailed us the night of the uh, Canadian Open, I was like showing it to my friends. I'm like, yeah, me and Ledbetter, we hang. And now it's like, all right, enough Ledbetter, okay? You're jamming up my inbox with all your inquiries. <laughs> so we're getting him back on the show. Who's the Scottish guy you want to get back on? <laughs> Quite honestly, I can't <laughs> That's great. I get an email from O'Connor. He's like, yeah, we got to get the Scottish guy on. I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking you know, the, about. The instinctive guy. Yeah, you know? the guy, that guy. The so, guy who uh, went to Fred Shoemaker and then lost right, right, business right. for three years. Um, and, uh, and we're going to do, uh, are we, uh, so, so we're not sure when Ladabetter is coming back, but he's getting, he's, he's, he's coming back on the show soon. By the way, so we, we need to rebook, uh, I talked to Doolin last Friday. Like everybody in my life who does this for a living is like, are you all right? I'm like, no, I'm not all right. So Doolin's going to come back on. He's the best. And I talked to Charlie Fitz yesterday. Are you fine? Okay. I said, I'm not fine. So uh, I said to Fitzy, we got to get you back on. So uh, we'll have some 
some guests again in the next few weeks. We hope that you'll join us. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. This program is brought to you by... Oscar Bravo. Make sure you check out whoisoscarbravo.com to wear a shirt unlike any other. That's right. So, uh, stretchlab.com. And for years, the uh, support of uh, a great company, um, Taylor Made Golf Canada, uh, for all your golfing needs. Uh, thank you again. And this program produced by Humble and Fred Radio. Double ball time. You feel all right. When you hear the music ring Well now you step inside But you don't see too many